0: All right. I have a very special show. Let me start by announcing that tomorrow, Tuesday, September 12, 2017, UCI's Zotspeak Toastmasters Club is having an open house, and I'm the president of that club. The club meets every Tuesday from 12 to 1 p.m. in Aldrich Hall, room 107. Tomorrow's meeting is unique in that it will focus on everything we do to develop, improve, and excel at public speaking, And we are focused on informing our guests. So come one, come all, and check us out if you're interested in communications and public speaking. And since tomorrow is our Zotspeak Toastmasters open house, it's a perfect opportunity to introduce my guest, Daniel Mitson Short. Daniel is an inspirational speaker and writer, communication trainer, and four-time District Toastmaster champion speaker. Basically, he has been the Toastmaster speaking champion in Orange County and LA County for four years, and that's a big deal. He frequently speaks internationally and has spoken at several TEDx talks. In fact, my first meeting with Daniel was about nine months ago, and it was a wild ride up to Los Angeles, and what struck me about Daniel was that In speaking to him on the side, he said that I plan to win the, you know, Daniel plans to win the International Public Speaking Championship in Toastmasters. And at the time, it was my first meeting with him, I'm like, wow, that's a pretty big cup of tea. And since getting to know Daniel and seeing his work, I believe him. So please welcome Daniel Mitts and Shorts. Welcome, Daniel. How are you today?
1: Good morning, Kevin. I'm doing great.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, me. Thank you so much for being on the show. You know, first of all, Daniel, there's, there's so much I want to talk about. Maybe first tell us about how you got involved with Toastmasters. Was that your first introduction to public speaking or, you know, how did that evolve for you? Sure. Yeah, my
1: very first experience with Toastmasters came years and years ago in Australia where I grew up. Mm. And I'm now an expat Aussie. I live in beautiful... Southern California but I grew up in Australia in Sydney and my first experience was when I was 17 years old I went to a youth leadership event and it ran for about eight weeks through my high school Mm -hmm. and it was basically a chance for all the students there to do mini speeches so three to five minute speeches and in front of the group which as teenagers you can imagine is kind of terrifying right but they're very supportive and very encouraging and they said they had Toastmaster members there teaching us how to be better speakers. And that was really my first experience of Toastmasters when I was 17. And then I literally did nothing with it for about probably 20 years, and or maybe maybe a little less than that, mm-hmm. maybe 18, 19 years. And then uh, in my mid-30s, I joined a Toastmasters club because in my career, I was getting more demands to speak in front of groups
2: mm-hmm.
1: in my consulting work, and I do uh, communication training. And so I was getting these opportunities to speak, but I was very nervous and I didn't know what to do. And I just remembered, for some reason, when I was 17, having that experience at Toastmasters and thinking, that was actually really helpful at the time. So I signed up to come to a meeting, a, a, a free meeting, as always, with Toastmasters down in Data Point at a club. And yeah, the rest is history. That was about five years ago and I've been speaking ever since.
0: Excellent. Can you tell us about how you've grown? Like initially, when you came to the club, what were some of the tools that, you know, as a newcomer, that you feel like? Do you remember those days? I
1: do, yeah. It's starting to drift into the distance a little bit. But I do actually, as a practice, I try and remind myself what it felt like when I first walked in, how I was nervous and I wasn't, what's this going to be about? And, You know, are these people going to judge me or something like that? And it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, the people in Toastmasters are the most encouraging, supportive, nicest people you'll ever meet. And I remember in the very early stages, my first two or three meetings, I was just really given a sense of, you know, it's great to have you here. You're in the right place. And then was given little roles in things like being the timer of the day or counting the ums and ahs, the filler words, little tiny rolls. And what it was helping me to do was just be cognizant of different skills of speaking. But at the same time it was giving me mini opportunities to stand up and speak in front of the group. Not a full speech and not running the meeting, but actually just saying a couple of words and that helped me to feel a little bit more confident every week. So that was the initial thing. But then as time went on, obviously when you have when you become a member you have a manual which gives you instructions of how to deliver each different speech, tips and ideas. And then on top of that, I actually had a mentor in my club, a guy who was more experienced, who would encourage me basically every week to sign up for something small. You know, he'd say, what do you want to do next week? And then I'd say, I don't know. He'd say, well, how about this? How about that? And so I'd always be doing a role, whether it was telling a joke or inspirational thought of the day, doing a little speech to introduce myself, something like that. And those were the initial tools. It was just really... Honestly, getting up in front of the audience and saying a couple of words was what built my initial confidence.
0: What about initial breakthroughs? Do you recall anything that's like, you know, was a breakthrough for you? It's like, wow, I didn't realize this or any impacts or or has it just been a gradual progression?
1: Uh, That's a good question. I think one of the earliest things that surprised me was I was very good at humor and it doesn't mean everyone has to be, but it was just something where I had a good sense of humor. I like to laugh, and I found as I started to relax more in front of the group, I would just say things that would be interpreted as funny, and people would laugh, and they'd say, oh, you're really funny. You're so clever. (laughs) You have these great comments, and I think, okay, and I didn't really intend it that way, but I realized, oh, this is a bit of a skill that I have, so that kind of led me to my first competitive speaking experience, which was in the humorous contest for Founders District, which which you mentioned, I think is, you know, from LA to San Diego, basically most of Orange County, essentially. And I went through the levels of that contest quite quickly because I think I realized that, hey, I have some funny things to say here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was probably an initial surprise that I had this humor up my sleeve. And a lot of it came from actually just expressing my natural personality Versus trying to be, you know, a a formal, serious type of speaker. I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I have to be, to be good, I have to kind of be serious or I have to be very formal or very rehearsed or something like that. But Toastmasters really encourages you to work the formula in terms of the speech practices that you're doing, you know, each speech in sequence, Mm -hmm. but they want you to do it in your own way. So it's, That was the cool thing for me was, hey, I can do these speeches, but I can have some fun. I can crack some jokes. I can give some good insights, and people seem to enjoy it.
0: Excellent. How about telling us all about your experience with this recent competition at the International Speech Contest? Toastmasters had their international convention in Vancouver just a couple weeks ago, and you've been working on this project, I guess, what, it started over 6 months ago where you competed at your club level and then went to your area level and then the district level. Can you just walk us through that whole process and you know what were some of the challenges and 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 how that whole growth process worked?
2: Yeah,
1: so the International Speech Contest is a worldwide event which is run by Toastmasters International, but it starts in every single club around the world. And right now there's more than 30,000 Clubs around the world, I believe. I'm, I'm sorry, not 30,000 clubs, 30,000 competitors in the speech contest. There's, I think there's around 2,500 clubs or something like that around the world. And of, of those 2,500 clubs, there's you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 members per club. So one person from each club represents their club in this contest. And it goes up. There's six total levels in the international speech contest. So there's the club level. If you compete with your fellow club members and you win you then go to represent your club at the area level. If you win the area level out of the competitors there, you go to the division level. If you win that one, you go to the district level, which is basically as high... Uh, that would be out of around 200 clubs in Founders district. And whoever wins the, the district level then goes on to represent their district in the semi-final round. And if you win your semi-final round, you go to the final, which is a couple of days after at the convention... And if you happen to win the final of the international speech contest, you are then crowned the world champion of public speaking for that particular year. And you retain that title because you, once one of the, let's say, rewards of winning the world championship is that you are then not allowed to compete anymore. Mm. So you are, you're basically uh, not disqualified, but you're, you know, you're removed from the contest respectfully. So it makes room for another competitor to come in.
0: Well, so, I, will, yeah. I will say I've heard more than one Toastmaster uh, wishing you well and wishing that you would win the whole thing as soon as possible so you could get out of the queue and let other people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, it's like a double-edged compliment. Say, yeah, you're Yeah, right. yeah, you, yeah. You, you go and win this thing and yeah, yeah. I not have to compete with you. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. It's, it's funny. That's one of the cool things about Toastmasters is that it's, you know, it is a contest, and of course everyone wants to win and, and be labeled the winner for the area or the division or district, and, and a lot of people want to be world champion as well, but at every level, everyone's very supportive. It's not a contest where you know, people are angry at you because you won. It's kind of like a respectful contest, and, and it's a showcase of talent and skill. That's the way I think of the contest, really. Mm. just shows the potential of what you can be as a speaker.
0: Yes, yes. Hey, Daniel, just excuse me for a moment. If you're joining us late, I'm speaking with Daniel Mitson Short. Today, Daniel's speaking about Toastmasters public speaking and leadership clubs and what they mean to him. And he recently had the experience of competing at the international level for public speaking for Toastmasters. So, right now, Daniel's talking about his process of what it was like. So, Daniel won at the district level. And one of the other things about this contest that is intimidating for me is that your speech that you compete with for your first, I think, two or three or four times, if you win at that level, then that speech is over. You have to do a whole new speech. And I'm like are you kidding me i, I i've all never right. even gotten close to that but anyway can you can you talk about it? so you won at the district level and that you know yes. basically for orange county la county san diego county and then you you continue with that speech right
1: correct so you go all the way to the semi final round which is five rounds you continue with that one speech that you've crafted and then once and it has to be five to seven minutes in length it can't be longer than seven minutes 30 seconds and it's typically, you know, inspirational, motivational, a lot of humour, something that's about your experience in life, something that you feel can add value to the audience. That's kind of the um, the criteria, if you like, behind the speech. And once you, if you do win your semi-final, then when you go to the final round, which is the world championship round, you must deliver a completely different speech that you haven't delivered in that calendar year, meaning that you can't have competed in another contest with that other speech. And the reason they do that is because they're testing the skill of the speaker mm. rather than just that one speech. Mm. Because, you know, someone may have an incredible life story or just be, you know, very clever and, and have a very well-crafted, funny speech that just really impacts the audience. And if they can use that all the way through, they're kind of being carried by that one speech, if that makes sense. Yes. Whereas if they have to switch the speech in the final round, you know, in front of 2,000 people... You have to have some serious skill. You have to really work up to that level to be able to deliver a completely different speech at the final round. And got so that's you. the reason that they do that, and that really tests the mettle of the, the people. And that's why the ones who become world champion of public speaking really have earned the title.
0: Yes. I will say one of the things that I got to observe from the first time I met you, your competition speech can you talk about how that speech grew and and how you identified how you needed to strengthen it or, or what your changes were?
1: Yeah, it's really that's the. I honestly, I would say that's the hard work of the speech contest is look, you have to become a good speaker, but that happens by speaking a lot. If you go to different clubs or different events and you just practice in front of groups and and they give you time to do that and they give you feedback, you'll become a stronger speaker. So that's the the first half of the equation, if you like. But then the other half is the actual speech itself, the content that you're creating. And what I started with, the, the event you're talking about, I believe that was actually late 2016, might have been. Um, so yes. I had started writing that speech kind of in my mind three, four months before about an experience I had when I was young about a teacher who helped me in my life and encouraged me to become a speaker. So it was actually kind of wrapped up in the, the theme of being a speaker as well. And I had that idea, but then obviously, you know, that's a, that's a message that's important to me as a person. But what I had to do was then say, okay, how can I craft this in a way that it resonates with the most people possible? Mm. You know, because not everyone wants to be a speaker. Not everyone has that same aspiration. So I came up with this idea of uh, developing what I called a, a... Initially, it was a superpower, which comes from, you know, superhero comics and mm-hmm. things like that. But then I realized... I wanted it to be a secret power because very often we hide our powers in life. We have some talent or ability that we kind of know that we have, but we're also terrified to show it to the world. Mm-hmm. And I thought of this idea, kind of like Superman, how you know he hides his powers away and pretends to be Clark Kent.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that became like a metaphor that I put on top of the story of the school teacher who helped me to learn to speak because I was terrified to speak when I was young. So I kind of layered those two stories over each other. And the initial version of the speech, even though it was entertaining and a lot of people said, wow, I really liked what you said, it didn't have the same level of impact. And one of the things I like to do, I'm a big fan of music. I you know have hundreds of thousands of albums I've collected over the years. And one of the things I love to do is listen to the demo version of songs that come out you know, before yeah. the artist actually releases it. Yeah. So they might just be playing it on acoustic guitar or piano or things like that and if you go and listen to the demo version of a famous song you hear almost like the skeleton or the bare bones version and you think wow they really improved that how could they go from that all the way to this finished piece and it really is just you keep reworking it you keep iterating and thinking about it and honestly obsessing about it it's Mm -hmm. It's kind of a joke that, you know, I mean, I would literally walk around, I'd be at the shopping mall, and I would have in my pocket a printed copy of my speech. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because sometimes I'd be randomly walking around, i think, here's a better word, here's a better way to say that. I can add this in, and it will add meaning to this. So I'd always be, you know, all the the versions of it would have crossed out words and changes. (laughs) So that's really the way it works, is you just obsess about how can I make this better? Mm -hmm. Is this truly the best version? And then sometimes newer ideas come to you. It just gets better
0: over time. And as you were leading up to the competition in Vancouver, was it, I don't know, if routine is the word? But did you feel like, okay, you know, I'm, I've worked this, I've prepared. I don't know, is there is calm an appropriate word or? Because certainly there's an edge. You you're competing. You want to win. You want it to be as good as possible. Yes. Or is it, you know, leading up is it a bit frantic?
1: You know, it's interesting this is my third time competing or was just a couple of weeks ago my third time competing at the semi-final level and I think this year more than the past years I competed 2014 and 2015 this year I was more calm than I've been I think just purely from experience having been on those stages in front of four five hundred people knowing the process of that high level of the contest but at the same time I think I prepared more than I've ever prepared before and the work of 2014 and 2015 really accumulate. So that's the beautiful thing about the speech contest is that any Toastmaster work that you do, any speech that you do, it kind of builds on the success of the next one. So they, it's almost like you have a platform. So I think because I'd had 2014, 2015, by the time I got to this year, I took a year off last year to do some TED Talks and keynotes and things like that. I was much more prepared. I knew the road ahead and I knew the reality of the contest. And that's a big part of it. Once you know that, you kind of, I don't know, it's its easier to be in the moment, to flow. And I remember before I went on stage just thinking, this is going to be fun this year. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a great time. And it felt different. In the past, I think there was a, you know, if I'm honest, I mean, I had in my mind, I'm going to win this in one year. I'm going to mm. take this title down. and be the world <laughs> champ. And, you know, every person thinks that. Yeah. Every person who gets right. to the district or the semifinal, they think they're the world champion of public speaking for that year. And, mm-hmm. and maybe worse than that, everyone in their district tells them that as well. <laughs> so if you, if you win your district, everyone says to you, you're the champ, you're going to nope. win, this is your year. You know, yeah. I can see you with the first place trophy. And you start to believe your own press a little right, bit. Right, which, which can be good for your confidence, but at the same time, I think it blinds you to the fact that you're there to deliver a message that's meant to matter for the people who are listening. Mm -hmm. And so I think this year, more than anything, my calm came from the fact that I was there to serve the audience.
2: Mm. I wasn't,
1: you know, do I want to win? Of course, but I see it as a life goal. So I believe I will be a world champion of public speaking one day and it may be next year it may be the year after maybe 15 years but if I keep at it I know I will achieve the goal of world Mm. champion but the process becomes easier I was saying to someone the other day it's almost like if you're driving somewhere for the first time you concentrate more because you don't know the road you don't know the direction the traffic that kind of thing but once you've driven a road several times you start to relax. You kind of listen to music while you're driving. You're thinking about other things. You know, you're more calm because you. it's almost like it's gone into your subconscious a little bit. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: that's what I'm noticing with the contests is not that I'm taking them for granted by any means or I'm not rehearsing, but I'm really... I'm focused on the quality of the message, and I think the process is becoming a little easier because I know to get to the semifinal, it's four rounds of competition before that. So I have to be very prepared from the very first contest.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, that may be an advantage up my sleeve a little bit because I know the reality, whereas other people may think, oh, this will be fun, I'll just enter the contest and see what happens. I was just gonna
0: say, it's a great metaphor, and if you're an experienced speaker, what you're saying, but also if you're a, a beginning speaker, practicing your speeches and using the tools that you have either when you're starting or when you're experienced. It's a very similar process.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And I often go back to, it sounds crazy, but I go back to the beginnings of the Toastmaster manual and I have a look at the criteria that they suggest because the fundamentals matter more than anything. If you go back and you look at really what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve, you know what's important for the audience to remember things like that yeah that really helps you not to get lost in things like the mechanics or the the gimmicks of speaking because Mm. believe me there's a temptation as you become a more advanced speaker you think oh well I'll use props or I'll use some fancy word usage or I'll try and crack jokes more or whatever it is and you end up losing the soul of what you're doing
0: yeah Yeah. interesting so you're in Vancouver you are going to compete you are there before the Contest, you know, minutes before what you were selected second. Did I get that right? Were you second in the in the competition? Yeah,
1: so I came second this year in my semi final. So it means I, I don't get to advance to the final this year. And uh, so the person who came first in my semi-final, she advanced to the final round.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Are you? Is everybody in the same room? Are you in a green room type of a thing? Or oh yeah,
1: we're all in the same room. And what happens is basically the contestants are sitting down in the audience in the front row, oh. and we we go in speaking order. So you choose that on the day just randomly, and then you go up and you deliver your speech. as ten speeches in a row, and then the judges have specific judging criteria, okay. which you can look up online. It's the International Speech Contest judges ballot and that will show you the, the criteria they judge against. And then once all the 10 speakers have gone, they, the judges leave the room with the ballots, they tally the results, and they come back and they give you the, the verdict. And then one person wins, one person comes second, one person comes third, and then the rest are acknowledged for participating.
2: Gotcha, gotcha.
0: Well, shoot, Daniel, we're running out of time, but I want to quickly get a couple of questions in. Of course. I often see experienced speakers when they're introduced, and they'll take a moment or a few moments... To just take in the audience and I've seen you do that it's a bit of a mystery to me because what is going on in that moment I get that you're connecting being with the room being with the audience but for me I'm like man I have to focus on what I'm going to say I haven't distilled that in my mind yet can you just briefly describe that of course yeah if you can just take a moment or two before you begin speaking
1: to the group What it does is it gives them a second or two to get an impression of you as a person. Because human beings do that. You know, you're walking down the street, you see someone coming towards you. You start to form an initial impression of them. You can't help it. Mm -hmm. It just is part of human nature. So when you're standing in front of a group, you might have 10 or 20 or 100 people looking at you. And it's kind of a weird experience. I mean, it's not a natural thing to just have people staring at you. And the tendency is to jump straight something, you know, to fill that awkward silence. Mm -hmm. But if you can just wait and, I you know, just count to three in your head, it doesn't have to be a long time, but just give them a moment to kind of get a sense of who you are, what you're about as a person, make their impression. Mm -hmm. Of course, as you speak, that will change. They won't have the same impression after you're finished, but at least then they're comfortable with who you are. And the other thing it does is it kind of centers the room, the focus, onto you. The old technique, and honestly, you see this, teachers will do this with a rowdy classroom of students. The teacher will just become silent, and eventually the class quietens down. Mm. <laughs> they, you know, that kind of silent right. treatment that works. Right. Not that we're trying to do that to the audience to punish them, but what it does is it makes the audience kind of go, oh, we better listen to what he or she's going to say, right. because they're not saying anything yet. Yeah. They're poised. They're standing here looking at you. So that technique of just counting to three or counting to five or something like that in your head, that's how I initially did it. Now I have an instinct for when I should start mm. speaking. The other thing you said, you know, I'm worried about what should I, you know, I'm worried about what I'm first going to say. Right. What I would suggest is to really strongly rehearse your opening. Mm. So the first two or three sentences you're going to say, know them verbatim. Mm-hmm. And if you're driving long in your car, you can say right. them out loud, do it in the shower, you know, you can mentally rehearse them. But knowing those really well, what that does is it makes you more confident in that first initial few sentences you're saying to the audience. And therefore, they start to go, oh, this is a strong speaker.
2: Mm -hmm. And even
1: if the rest of your speech isn't quite as strong... They remember that first couple of sentences, and the same thing at the end too. If you can really rehearse the last phrase or last couple of phrases and finish strong, mm. the audience remembers that as well. Gotcha. Because there's a tendency I notice as speakers when we get towards the end, you can kind of hear it in a person's voice. Oh, you know, I'm so, I'm almost done here. Thanks for having me. So I'll pass back to the in. It's almost uh. this uncertainty starts to creep into your speech yes,
0: patterns. yeah, yes, so yes, yes. If yes. you
1: say something definite and you finish. That makes a much more impact gotcha. to the audience.
0: Finally, as a conclusion, Daniel, can you just tell us very briefly what Toastmasters has meant to you personally and professionally?
1: Oh, so much. It's hard to say. I would say professionally, it's definitely improved my confidence as a communication trainer. I've now begun doing inspirational speaking and keynotes. I've done two TEDx talks, which I know I wouldn't have had the confidence or the ability to deliver as well as I did without practicing at Toastmasters. And in fact, I would go to clubs and practice my TEDx talk to make sure it was finessed and rehearsed. So that's one thing I think it's just grown my experience and my skill professionally as a speaker. Personally, I would say I love speaking. It's really one of my passions in life. So for me, it's given me a lot of joy. The ability to stand up and be able to share an idea or a message with an audience is just a privilege for me. And I think for anyone who gets to do it and do it well, it's such a thrill when you get up and you share something and people recognize it. They they come up to you afterwards and say, Oh, that was great, I learned a lot or, you know, some people say, You've changed my life. I mean, you have to wow. not not feel that's amazing, you know. So that's the the personal part of it. But I think on top of that, one of the things that Toastmasters does is it brings you into a community of people who are trying to improve themselves. And I think that's a very rare thing these days where, you know, the world's becoming more technology focused and more disconnected or more disparate. And that's good and bad, but if you come to a Toastmasters meeting, you're present in a room with people, you're seeing people face to face, you're practicing good eye contact, you're getting this sense of command of your communication skills one to one. And you find this community of people who are trying to do the same thing, and it's incredibly rewarding because you make great friendships. And you have, like you and I had that night traveling to that TEDx event. Right. You have really fun experiences, you know, that you remember for years. Right. And, yeah, and so those are the things that it's just really cool to be part of a a community. And I call it a family because it really is like a second family. You get to know people very closely and you build great friendships. So, So true. They're behind you 100%.
0: Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time and being with us. And I am sorry we are out of time.
1: No problem. You're so welcome, Kevin.